HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by charlottesgotalot.com. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and hosts to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread. Plan your trip at charlottesgotalot.com. This is Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for 10 years. After all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of beer, food, cider, and more. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love from my show by selecting Beer Sessions in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 31st, 2019. This is the 223rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding restaurateur with award-winning Italian restaurants in Brooklyn, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later, we will have my speed round game. And for industry news, we have a surprise special guest returning to the show to talk about his book, Hungry. We have Jeff Gordonaire of Esquire joining us. And then after that, we will close out with my solo dining experience and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, we're going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be open-minded about relationships and people in general. Don't disregard anyone and always be kind to everyone as you never know who someone is and how that person may become a more integral part of your life. That woman sitting next to you at the bar or guy in front of you in line at the grocery store or your neighbor sharing an elevator ride could turn into the next best thing in your life. You never know. So be kind and receptive always as it's a small and unpredictable world after all. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really, really excited to my guest here with me in the studio. It is Sean Feeney. He is the co-owner of Lilia and Missy Restaurants in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, with Chef Missy Robbins. Sean began his career on Wall Street, working at big firms, including Cantor Fitzgerald, Goldman Sachs, and Anchorage Capital. In 2008, he and his wife moved to a building on Grove Street in the West Village, the same building where Missy, then a chef at Avoce, had resided. The rest is history. While continuing to work in finance in 2016, Sean joined Missy and her team to build Lilia, a New York Times three-star restaurant, and with the opening of their second Pasta-centric place Missy, which also earned three stars in the New York Times, Sean moved into restaurant operations full-time. 
Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sherry. I'm excited. I, you know, it's, I, I know, you know, I met you through your restaurants, through Missy, I, and... I remember the first night you were there. Oh, really? Yep. It what was, was I wearing? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I, I know you're at, you're at Table 36. You came with uh, what I like to call the squad, Rita K. Crater, who was not supposed to be there, but was there because her flight got canceled. And I remember M- Missy saying to me, and it, we were a couple weeks open, and uh, when she saw the squad walk in... <laughs> which it is the most powerful squad in my mind wow. in the dining industry. Um, she tapped me on the shoulder and she's like, you know that thing that you do when you go to tables and you like, you know, get in there and chawn them a little bit? I was like, yeah. And she goes, well, do it to that table because if they like us, they'll come back. And if they come back, that means we're pretty good. So I'll never forget the first time that you dined with us. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, we could just stop the show right there. That's like great. I'll take it. Um, it was, it was always, it was, it's, it was a special experience that night. It's always special dining at restaurants and now getting to know you and this and, and your service hospitality food is reasons. I think I return and so many people return. You, you've, you've figured that out. So I want to go back though, into your background because yeah. you were in finance and I I don't know if you had any restaurant experience before this kind of um, diving in with with Missy, but let's 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 talk about it. <laughs> I, okay, definitely. I, also, I want to congratulate you on five years. I know that's a big oh, thing. Thank it's, you. It's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I I never had a job growing up uh, because my parents said just you know you like sports and and you play on all these crazy teams and just focus on that make what makes you happy and. Because of that, I never really had uh, a job growing up, and uh, I grew up in New Jersey, the Jersey Shore, went to school at University of Virginia, and from a very young age, I just wanted to be my dad, and he was an oral maxillofacial surgeon. So as I was at UVA, I was in pre-med, and oh. um, about three months before uh, graduating UVA, I was on my way to med school and uh, with the vision of taking over my dad's practice at some point. And something, um, uh, it was 2003, and something kind of hit home to me that I had this long-term girlfriend, and I, I uh, might want to start a family a little sooner. And if I were to go the route of medical school, it could um, prolong things and slow things down. And I reached out. I sent an email to the CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald, Howard Lutnick, and uh it was two years after the World Trade Center went down on CEP 11, and I knew that where I had grown up in New Jersey, a lot of people uh, passed away, and, uh, and a lot of the fathers who I went to uh, high school with, their sons, passed away. And I, I, I sent an email to the CEO of Canner asking him for a job, and I didn't even know what the job was. I didn't know what Canner Fitzgerald was or Goldman Sachs, all these firms. Uh, because I just had my heart set on med school, but I did have this feeling that I could do something else. And I ended up getting an offer from Howard uh, and Kenner. I remember sitting down with my dad talking about it and kind of torn because that meant I couldn't do what he did. And uh, I remember him saying without hesitation, just do it, just go for it. And you could always go back if you don't like the finance thing. So I started at Kenner Fitzgerald about two days after graduating UVA. Uh, a year later, was hired away f- by a client called Goldman Sachs, and I uh, was a corporate bond trader for six, 13 years. And then in 2011, I joined Anchorage Capital, which was, I thought, the greatest job that I could ever have in finance, and it was a goal of mine to go work at this fund. Uh, and then, uh, and then it all kind of turned. I think. My transition into hospitality, I never thought I was going to work in a restaurant or own a restaurant or even invest in a restaurant. But I do think that looking back now, um, realizing the investment my mom and dad made, their biggest investment growing up, my sister and I, was family. And um, a lot of that investment of into family was revolved around food. So every single night we had dinner together as a family and every Sunday we would have my whole you know extended family from North Jersey come down to the shore and have these big Sunday suppers and we had a big family and we all loved each other and uh, and my mom and dad also uh, they were really proud to 
be able to travel with my sister and I, and we would take trips three times a year to um, maybe an island or Italy or Europe. Um, and a lot of those times, it was the first time that my mom and dad had ever been to those places too. And my, my dad would study these um, photos and Zagats um, and all these travel um, magazines and publications. And essentially when we got to these places, he was the tour guide as if he had already been there many times. And um, most of the trips we were taking were based on food. So growing up in that environment and um, with the respect of the experience of dining, not just the, you know, being adventurous with, with the food and cuisines that we were being shown. Um, I, I guess that investment, looking back on it now, the reward of it was I found this, this calling or, or love of that. So when I moved to Manhattan uh, after I graduated college, I recognized very quickly when I started in finance that for me to create an edge uh, or, or to have an um, advantage against others, I was really great at connecting with people, building relationships, and, and building trust and networks. And I felt really comfortable doing that on the floors of restaurants versus the trading floor. So that meant going out to dinner a lot. And that's how I was starting to make my professional networking career um, a part of my life. So six days a week, I was essentially out at restaurants uh, after a day's work. And um, for the first two years, I would essentially go to every single steakhouse in New York five boroughs. And I became a regular and I knew the, the maitre d', I knew the story behind the restaurant, I knew the chef, I knew the menu, I did the ordering, and I felt really at ease. And I loved it. And it took about two years for me to gain 35 pounds <laughs> and, uh, and not live the healthiest lifestyle. But one of uh, a dear friend of mine who's a mentor was at one of these dinners one night and said, you know, it's obvious you really love this, but uh, why are you going to this type of place all the time. And I didn't think about it. I just thought, well, it's finance, steakhouse, this is what we do. And um, <laughs> about two weeks later, uh, February 23rd, 2005, I went to Babo for the first time. And that kind of like changed my life because I then said, wow, the city is the greatest city in the world for dining and I gotta go, I gotta go attack it. And, uh, and that, those experiences, I started becoming great friends with all of these amazing people. And I would go to Babo four times a month. I would go to Masa four times a year, which was a big investment for me. At the time in 2009, when I started going, I went because it made me feel like I could just escape. And it was an investment that I thought, um, it was an experience like no other in the world. And as the years went on, all of these amazing experiences and the relationships that I was making in the hospitality industry, they, they became very impactful. And, uh, and then, in 2008, we got married and moved into this building and met Missy. Um, and that's, that's what really has changed everything. Um, because at the time when, when I did see Missy in the hallway, I knew who she was. I knew what she was just over, undertaking uh, over at Avoce. And, uh, you know, I was, I was essentially a, a neighbor and fanboy for four years that I would go to her restaurants with my mom and dad, my my wife, Maria, our friends, work people. And uh, that was really what it just was. It was, oh, he's my neighbor in finance and he's at my restaurant. And it wasn't really a friendship until Hurricane Sandy, the night that it hit New York City. Uh, I saw her in the hallway. She had shut down Avoche for the night and I invited her up to our apartment. And that was the night when we all became friends and we told each other our life stories. Um, she did tell us that night that she was most likely going to be leaving the restaurant industry in 2013. And, uh, and then she did. And every single night in 2013, I would come home from work. Um, I was hopeful that when I knocked on her door and she wasn't answering that, um, she wasn't, she wasn't, uh, not there and just not answering, but maybe she was upstairs at my home and she was at my home a lot cooking with my wife. And that year in 2013, we became friends and even a, a family type of yeah, feeling. And, uh, and then 2014, um, we became business partners. 
Yeah, um, it's like I'm getting the chills listening to you. I love your story. Let's ask, let's, let me ask you or play back my question for my last guest. So yeah. I had on episode 222, two, two, Hazel Delos Race. She's the co-owner and head roaster at Gumption Coffee. And uh, she has a good question for you. Ties in. All right. So I want to ask Sean, because I know that Missy has been his neighbor. Um, and he knew her and he was back then in the finance industry and she was a chef and she was working at Avoce or Avoce, I don't know how to pronounce it. I that. think it's Avoce. Avoce, yeah. yes. And um, uh, she was looking to partner up with, with, with people to set her own place up and, and I guess he was, you know, you, I, I don't know where what state he was in in his, his career, but what is it about his neighbor, about Missy, that made him connect the dots to go this is my new this is the new chapter in my life this is what I'm going to do what how did magic present itself to him and what was that epiphany like in terms of what did you you know what he saw as her talent as her magic as as what he can then you know plunge you know take the plunge and you know sort of like make the jump in terms of getting out of the finance industry to the hospitality restaurant industry with this person that's his neighbor what was it that he saw um and i'm i'm very curious um because we have a lot of talents out there a lot of really really skilled people with gifts and then um and some of them have partnered with with people with resources and i want to find that moment where they connected and what they saw in each other and go we can do this together um and yeah and and i'm i'm curious um and i want to know it from his perspective yeah, I, so 2009 was the first time I dined at Avoce, and it was the first time in my life that I tasted white truffle. And and um, I made, I I said it that night to Maria, my wife, that Missy is the best um, chef in in the in the country, and I I always believed that, um, but uh, but never once in that moment from 2009 a, until. Uh, 2014 when I said it did I ever think that we were going to open a restaurant together I just let the um, relationship kind of build and I think there's a lot of a lot of things that occurred especially in 2013 when when I was coming home after work and having conversations with Missy and in the beginning of 2013 she wasn't even sure if she wanted to be a chef anymore and you know, I ask a lot of questions and I, you know, I would ask why and what, what, what was she thinking about doing? And as the year was progressing, I could see that her desire to be back in the kitchen and to own her own restaurant was, was growing. And it was, um, it was exciting to watch her because in that year I saw her transform. I saw her physically transform in the, in the sense that she, uh, went on a, diet and uh, workout regimen and physically she she reformed herself and I saw her become you know less burnt out and you know care about herself a lot more so in that year of 2013 as I was asking all these questions and um, watching her really work on herself it was inspiring to see myself um, her doing it in front of me and I was also watching her I had this like front row seat of her cooking in a completely different style, but it was so exciting. And knowing that when she did go back to the kitchen and um, her own restaurant, she was going to cook like that. And I felt like I had this like inside track. Um, but it really was like at the end of 2013, I remember she was starting to feel a little anxious uh, knowing that she had to go back to work. And I said to her to almost like to, I don't know if it's a sense of comfort, but I just said, I blurted out one night in her apartment that, um, you know, Marie and I believe in you and I think you're going to do great and, I, and we want to support you in any way we possibly can. And when I said that, I, I believe to this day, I just meant that we were going to go to her restaurant every night like we had at Avoce. <laughs> not finance it. No, not, not <laughs> at all. And, um, you know, and then, then, then a couple weeks later, she started doing some tastings and... 
Um, she was getting interest from restaurateurs that were the best in the best of the of the industry. And I was just curious to see, like, you know, what what was it that they were offering? Because I know what she wanted, and I was hopeful that she was going to get it because I thought she deserved it. And she was happy and excited and ready to go back to work about these offers. And I, you know, challenged her a little bit in that it wasn't exactly what she really wanted. And But it's okay because maybe, maybe you could... If I didn't know about the restaurant industry, I did know if there was something that I owned, like a high-yield bond, and many people were willing to pay for it, it, it's possible you could get a better price. And I was having discussions with her then to talk about how to possibly you know, negotiate a little bit better. And now we're into like the first quarter of 2014, and I went away on vacation with my parents and my sister, my wife and, and daughter, who at that time was about um, two and a half years old. And, and I remember sitting there next to Maria, and I just, I again, blurted it out. I, like, what are we doing? We got to do this with Missy. Um, and my wife looked at me like, I'm crazy. And she said, like, you have a job. And I said, I know, I'm not going to leave it. And uh, we, we could figure this out. And I promise you, I won't be a different dad or a husband to you. And for about 15 minutes, we spoke about it. And Maria just said, let's go. And uh, I remember texting Missy, please don't say anything to anybody until I get home in three days, but I have a plan. And I wrote up a little plan. I gave it to her. She immediately said no. Um, <laughs> she said, this is cute, but no, thank you. And uh, I, Knowing Missy, I'm just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there was a few curse words in there too, but this is a family <laughs> show. But I, I remember saying to her, like, nobody's ever said no to me that fast. And please, please think about this. And I, uh, I went upstairs, Maria was like waiting and she looked at me, she goes, how'd it go? And I said, uh, she said, no. She's like, what do you mean? She said, no, how, how could she say no? I was like, she said no. And she could tell that I was a little bummed, but she also said, well, what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going after her and, and we're not gonna let her say no. So for three and a half months, I just essentially beat her down. And what it really, what really, was so impactful in those three and a half months. I was getting so excited about the potential of doing something different, which I had never thought about in my career. Um, but trying to get her into a place where I was talking to her about what it meant to be an owner and have your own business and company. And I think those conversations were really what, at the end of the day, did it. We became you know, partners because we had the shared vision and mission we had uh, our values, which we knew were aligned perfectly after getting to know each other for so long. We were able to s write them down and say, you know, this is the company that we would build together. And I think it was really powerful. And in those moments, it all just kind of added up where I knew, you know, that day in 2013 at the end of the year, trying to, you know, almost like, not that she's needed it, but just to give her the push of saying, I, we believe in you. I didn't know it was going to lead to that. And even when she finally did say, all right, let's be partners, I didn't know what that really meant for me either. And um, the, the, the promise I made my wife, I essentially said, I'm not going to be at the restaurant every night. I don't, I'll just manage the finances and take care of all the stuff that Missy doesn't want to. And, um, and that obviously tr changed a lot. And it changed my life for the better in every single direction. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's really... It was something that I never thought about when Missy and I became neighbors, friends, and family. And then even when I said, we, we believe in you, yeah, it was really the conversations that uh, were about, uh, I saw the way people interacted with her in the industry. We would go out to dinner a lot right. and just the respect people had with her. Um, but it really was those conversations where I knew in my gut, even though at that time in my life, it was not the perfect time. It was not, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't. It wasn't the smartest decision to, to do it, but in my gut, I knew it was the right thing because I knew yeah. I, we believed in her and we wanted to help her. And look, look where you are today. It's pretty amazing. So let's take a little break here and we will come back and talk more with Sean. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. 
This episode is brought to you by charlottesgotalot.com. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and host to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread at Johnson & Wales University. HRN went to this year's symposium to learn about the science, history, and art of bread making. Here's what visitors had to say about the symposium. I love the geeky science stuff. Great food. Love the Armenian pizza. How much I'm eating <laughs> and consuming the carbs. The most interesting thing is just the community. For me, it's the, the, the science of starters. So much information. Very inspiring so far because everybody has a different outlook. I'm not technically a breadhead, but I think I'm going to be one after being here. So whether you're a breadhead or just a curious mind, check out HRN on tour for coverage of Charlotte's International Symposium on Bread and an insider's look into Charlotte's food scene. Don't miss our interview with Peter Reinhardt and Kristen Moore to learn more about where to eat on your next trip to Charlotte, a city on the rise. Learn more at charlottesgotalot.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Sean Feeney. He's the co-owner of Lilia and Missy Restaurants in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So let's, I, so expectations wise and where, you know, you, you, you went into this, not, you know, you invested. Um, it was, I guess, a risky move, but uh how how have the expectations or where you where you are today um, been different or I guess exceeded what maybe you expected? <laughs> I I think um, I mean everybody in my life when I started telling them that I was going to go down this road they thought I was a, an idiot um, because whether they had invested in a restaurant and never got paid back but they were excited about just having the opportunity to get a reservation which I thought is ridiculous. Um, and even my parents, when I spoke to them for the first time that I was really considering doing this, I don't think they ever realized um, what it was, <laughs> what it entailed. Um, I had really high expectations, the highest possible we could have, and um, because I just had this deep belief where that Missy was in a position to be her greatest and. I wanted to help in any way possible to, to make that happen. And um, I think that we both had really high expectations and that there were so many challenges that, we occur that occurred on our way of finding the space and building it. And, um, but and, and it was scary. That was the scariest part. And you also, I was going to say, you chose Brooklyn too, which I think oh, yeah. there was um, yeah. maybe some hesitation in, oh. in doing that. Yeah, so when Missy and I decided to be partners, we really, we agreed um, on not many things. We keep it really simple. She's got full creative control, and we also wanted to agree on how profitable we wanted to be, because we wanted to find that perfect balance of art and commerce. And I finally got her able to feel comfortable about um, our goals, our financial goals. And because of that, we looked at 38 places all in Manhattan. We really wanted to open in the, the West Village. And we just were striking out because it didn't fit. And uh, we lucked out. I remember getting, you know, sending her the text that I wanted her to look at a space in North Williamsburg. And she immediately responded. And we have this text screenshot where she said, I'm not opening an effing restaurant in <laughs> Brooklyn. And I essentially said back, then we might not be doing this together. And we might have to call those other guys back and see, you know, what we can do here. But um, fortunately, she did go out. And um, I don't, I'll never forget, you know, walking in there the first time thinking like, oh my God, she's going to tell me I'm such an idiot. But something about the space that she saw that I did not, this old auto body shop, um, that was just a disgusting mess. Um, we had there actually two squatters throwing all night raves and then five 
cars in there. She just said, this is perfect. This is it. And um, what it allowed us to do is, um, you know, know from day one that we were going to be able to meet our financial goals. And when I say that, it's not to mean profitability. It was to allow her to be the most creative artist possible. And when I think about the finance side of it, it's always, what do I need to give her the canvas to be the most creative? And Lilia's space, fortunately, was, was able to do that. And um, yeah, we were, we've been fortunate to, to make a home in Williamsburg. Our families live there now and probably don't plan on leaving anytime soon. Yeah, well, um, then you opened Restaurant 2, also in Williamsburg, a di- different part. Yeah. Uh, were, what was your, were you, were you always thinking you wanted a second, well, when did mm. you know you wanted to so those do con- a second restaurant? Yeah, the, con- the conversations that Missy and I had in that three and a half months span of her continuously saying no to me, we, we hammered every possible conversation a partner could have with another partner and and one of the conversations was well what if we don't fail and what if we do really well what does that mean and what do you think about the second restaurant and I I believed that she was absolutely right in that restaurants aren't widgets and just because you would be having a successful first doesn't mean you now should go and open 50 in the next five years. And I believed in that from day one with her. And I wanted to be very careful. We looked at 38 places before we found Lilia. And when we found the space at Missy, we looked at 42 places. I was going to ask the number even more. Yeah. And um, we found a space that was very different than Lilia, Mm -hmm. where when Missy walked into this auto body shop, she was just so inspired by the actual bones of this building and knowing that, like, we're going to create something special here. Whereas when we approached Two Trees, who, who was doing this big redevelopment of South Williamsburg, there was no building there. There was just a bunch of renderings. And um, when I sat down with Missy and Jed Valentis, who is the owner of Two Trees, a development company running the redevelopment of South Williamsburg, we knew that while we were knowingly going to go into a a white space, a white box, and we were going to have to work really hard to make it a beautiful, charming space, we were more in, excited to become part of this redevelopment and this um, birth, a rebirth of a community in South Williamsburg. And that what's re- that's really what got us excited, especially knowing that, you know, I think, I think we had a gut feel that we were going we to achieve another, another hit. And when we grew this business, this company, what would give us the best chance to grow the company? And being a couple blocks away and being in the same neighborhoods was exciting to us. It just took away a lot of the risk of, you know, possibly taking your eye off the ball because maybe you were on the west side of the uh, highway in Manhattan and you had to rush back to Lilia and that was an hour long commute. But, um, but yeah, we we're, we're, we're Brooklyn. We love Brooklyn. (laughs) We're in. It took a little convincing, but you love Brooklyn. Oh yeah. And what, how did your role change? Because you went with Lilia. Yeah. I know. I mean, you were at the restaurant. You were there. Yeah. You were, you were, but you are more hands-on now. Yeah. And I, I give Missy and, and my wife all the credit for that. I know that, um, you know, initially I wasn't going to be there every single night. I promised my wife. And I don't think Missy even wanted me there every night. <laughs> but when, when it did first open, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty clear in that first month I was there every night because I was so proud of it. And uh, we, we had family and friends. We had colleagues there. And I, I wanted to be there. And um, about a month after we were opened, uh, Missy and I were in an Uber home together. It was 1.30 in the morning. I was at work every morning at 5.30 a.m. And she just turned to me and said, what, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm great. And she goes, how are you doing this? And I said, I... It's just the, it's the best I've ever felt. I've, and uh, she said, okay, well, you know, you should keep on coming. 
and because you you're really good on the floor and the people that are working with us seem to really take a liking to you and they're looking up to you and you, you should do it. And I remember going home that night when I, we pulled up and I said goodnight and I told her, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come every single night. And I woke up Maria and I started the whole thing of like, you know, I know I said I wasn't going to be there every <laughs> single night and I'm, I'm, I still want to be the dad and husband that I always want to be. And, you know, and as I was trying to get it out, Maria just said, we're going to move to Williamsburg. You do this. And uh, for the next, you know, for the next two, three years, for the next three and a half years, I did this thing of going to the restaurant every single night um, and, uh, and then going to work at in the morning, and then I would say hi to my daughter, Biela, and, and Maria right before I would go back to the floor. And um, the moments that I couldn't spend with our team at Lilia, I would schedule meetings on Saturday and Sunday of coffees, just catching up with everybody that worked at Lilia. So I was able to connect with everybody because during the day I was at this office. And I knew that this is, I knew three weeks into opening Lilia, this is all I want to do the rest of my life. But I also knew that I couldn't, just because I had this big revelation, I couldn't go to my partner, Missy, and say, let's open up number two. I'd freak her out. And I didn't want to do that immediately. <laughs> and so, uh, and I also knew I couldn't responsibly say to my wife, you know, I'm out. I'm going to just do restaurants because right. um, that wouldn't have been that great. Um, it wouldn't have been responsible. So for the next three years, I just, I lived this life and, and my wife was amazing and she kind of made it all work. And knowing that if we did open number two and, and fortunately, you know, it took us 10 months after Lilia had opened for us to find our second space and we signed the, the lease and then it opened about two years after that. Hopefully if it went the right way, I'd be able to, to, to go. And about four months ago, that's, I did leave the, the hedge fund. What have you found to be um, the most challenging part of being a restaurateur? Um, I think, you, A, opening a restaurant is probably the hardest part. It's just, a, it's a huge challenge. Was and number two easier than number one? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, just the process of finding the right space, um, you know, making sure that you're on track and on budget and then permitting and licensing, dealing with the city, getting open is an actual miracle. And, um, you know, a lot of <laughs> times, you. <laughs> a lot of times you're just like, man, like, I can't believe we have to go through this process. It's so crazy, but it could be the reason why not everybody can do it. And, um, I think that's the hardest challenge, but, but once you get opened, um, for, for us, I was, I've always thought that the hardest thing is to get people to come into your restaurant and hopefully come back. I'm like, you don't have that problem. <laughs> Fortunately, I do now have confidence that we're okay in there in that yeah. regard, but the greatest challenge to Missy and I, and it's an amazing challenge and we love it every day. And it's probably what we work the hardest at together where she is the controlling you know, um, creative force. And I try to, to give her that creative palette and take care of the finances. But together, her and I are able to come together and really build a meaningful place where people are proud to come to work every day. And the greatest challenge is to, to make people feel valued upon entering every day so that they can know and confidently add value. And that to us has been the greatest reward for this partnership. And yes, I love every single night walking the floor and seeing smiling faces of guests. It is like the greatest Instagram um, serotonin drop of all time. But that's when I walk home, I know that we'll do it again tomorrow. The thing that's gonna make the, the legacy and the lasting impact on both of our lives is to make those people that are working with us feel so proud and um also also understand and get to know us so that hopefully that what's happened to missy and i in our lives because of these restaurants yeah. it'll happen to them too yeah it's impressive um i'm i'm glad i know both of mm -hmm. you and got to know you Shared more and there. more i'm just i'm 
I'm in awe of what you've done, and I just feel um, I'm I'm proud of you guys. Like Thank you, you really have achieved a tremendous amount, and your restaurants are fantastic. Oh, it's been so. fun. We we literally like look at each other. We don't really celebrate it that much, but every now and then I'll be walking on the floor and I'll look at her and we'll just shake our heads. Yeah. And we're just so humbled. I mean, the, the, the lines that are still there, the wait lists that are, are every single night, it's, it's yeah. truly a humbling thing. We don't celebrate it that much because we're just doing what makes us happiest. And it's, right. it's just trying to help make every day a good day for people through dining experiences. Well, and it's, you're doing it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to switch things up a little bit. And we're going to do my speed round game right now, mm. if you're ready. And then we're going to take go. a break and we're going to talk with Jeff about his new book. Okay, so speed round. Here we go. Yes. I'm going to name a couple of things and you pick your preference. Yes. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Mm, wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping for sure. Choose pasta, free gluten, pasta patrol, stop crying Declan. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on, but you have fantastic <laughs> hashtags. I don't know which one you're going to choose of those, but those are my choices. Oh, man. Uh, it's gotta, <laughs> They're all great. It's got to be the Pasta Patrol. Pasta my Patrol. My little boys. They're adorable. How about Alfresco Piano or Alfresco Workout? Because I think you've, got, you've had something with both going on. Yeah. Uh, workout. Workout. I want to hear more about that, too. Yes. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Well, we covered that. <laughs> EK, all day. Brooklyn. Awesome. You were fast. You definitely got the speed of the game. Well, thank you. They were great questions. Cool. Okay, we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk with Jeff Gordonaire about his new book, Hungry. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio here on HRN. My show is an audio ale salon celebrating the world of craft beer, cider, food, and more. Through discussions with industry insiders and knowledgeable beer fans, my friends and I explore every aspect of the brewer's craft, from grains to pint glass and tasting to toasting. You can find Beer Sessions Radio wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. I have a special guest joining us today for the industry news part of the show. It is Jeff Gordonaire, the food and drinks editor at Esquire, and his new book, Hungry, a nonfiction book about risk, reinvention, and road tripping with Rene Redzepi, the acclaimed chef at Noma in Copenhagen, is out, and I've read it, and it's fantastic. So. Thank you, Sherry. You know, this Thank is you. interesting for me. Thank you for, for being me. here. Oh, yeah. I love being here. I love hanging out. My son, Toby, just got some pizzas. First time to Roberta's. He's pumped. He's taking a nap on the couch outside. It's an interesting day for me because Toby and I went to field trip up in Harlem. Oh, nice. New place from J.J. Johnson with rice bowls. Then we got here. We see Sean Feeney, one of my heroes in the city, and then me. And you know what we all share, the three of us? We're fathers of twins. J.J., Sean and I all have twins. I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't know. I knew that you did. I, I didn't know. Yeah. I did, and I knew the two of you coming in. I didn't know you were going to mention JJ today, yeah. but you're right. 
So we're all superheroes. And- <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally, I have no more tears left, so we just, we just cry. We just, we just, we just laugh. I'm we crying laugh. right now. Yeah, yeah, totally. There should be, I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know, you obviously can share stories and yeah, probably we, advice. <laughs> we're beyond advice. Once you, I mean, I have four children, we so we, we don't even try to <laughs> yeah. do anything according to advice now. We just try to survive the yeah, day. Yeah, it's just like a look. It's an endurance test. Like, how, how long do you want to hug for, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, we have a little group. We meet sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, they're motivators. I will tell you that. They're in, it's incentivizing to have these little guys around because I love them. And, you know, but I also have to provide for them. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so uh, it definitely lights the fire. Yeah. So <laughs> so what inspired you to, to write this book? Oh, hell, I don't know. Um, no, I, I um, you know, I had... This chance encounter five years ago with Rene Redzepi, who himself is the father of three, and uh, in New York, and it's something I almost said no to, and I wound up getting coffee with him in the West Village, and from there, uh, years of adventure followed. And um, so the book involves my trips with Rene to Australia and all over Mexico, Denmark, of course, um, but it's actually in some ways not a food book, you know, which is a weird thing to say to your audience. It's really sort of a book about changing your life um, and risk and reinvention and, and kind of this impulse that I think all of us have at some point in our lives to, to burn it all down and start anew, which is something Rene was in the midst of when I, when I met him. Or he was just on the brink of when I met him. And as, as I started reporting the book, he sort of plunged headlong into that uh, practice of burning it down. Yeah, well, going when I do, started reading the book, I didn't realize going in there was going to be um, so much focus on, on Mexico and yeah. and that project, which um, and getting the behind the scenes look of of what went into that project. It was really fascinating. Oh yeah, good. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. It's a weird book. In some ways, I will admit <laughs> off the bat, and I've been getting so many emails from people. Yeah. Like, I've written many things over the years, and I've never quite had a response like this. The only thing that came close was the John Kwan piece I did for Team Magazine at the New York Times. Just a huge response of just a f- love from readers, you know, for her. And I'm getting all these direct messages all day long on Instagram, emails, and people essentially saying, you know, I read this book in one sitting on a plane, or I stayed up all night reading it. It's just kind of a transformative experience for me. I'm going to read it again, and also I'm quitting my job, or I'm getting divorced. So I'm sort of like, hey, slow down, slow down. It's just a book. But I mean, I'm, it's yeah. it's very uh, gratifying to hear from people in that respect. And and if I try to describe the book, well, I meet this guy who's sort of the greatest chef in the world, and he's in Denmark, but he's not really Danish. His father is, I mean, he is Danish, but his father's a... Muslim immigrant from Macedonia who brought you know raised his family in Denmark, but Renee essentially does most of the cooking in Mexico in the book. By that, by then I've lost people when I try to describe it, right? Right. I, but it, it, so yeah. it's sort of like, just pick it up. I find that if people read the first three pages, for whatever reason they can't seem to stop. And I mean I hear this over and over, so it's it's a lovely thing to hear because yeah. I really didn't want it to be, you know, boring like a homework book. Like, oh, well, boring. I guess I'm supposed to learn about this chef. So it's it's not that. I, you know, it, I'm sure it has its flaws, but it's definitely not tedious. I, I think what's so exciting, first of all, thanks for sharing a mic with me. Um, I think oh, what's it's so better ex- this way. I think it's so exciting to see. Um, Jeff was like a, a, an integral hero of mine before Lilia ever opened, and I read everything that he ever wrote. And knowing now that I am in this industry and, you know, what he what he stands in it as this presence of positivity and cheering and, um, you know, wanting to find the greatness in the industry and food and the experience of dining. It's so cool to see the love that's being thrown his way from everybody that he was cheering on for so long. But then what's amazing is the people that aren't necessarily ones that were being cheered on by him, but are line cooks, um, runners, uh, bartenders, and servers that now have read this book and are motivated to be great in 
the industry mm. where, you know, I think that they also had the opportunity to read a Kitchen Confidential or a Heat, which are also amazing books, but this is different. This isn't like, I believe the new paradigm of food literature and it has changed the game dude thank you well it is meant to in in some ways you know i'm a skeptic when it comes to self-help literature of course i'm i have to say that but i do hope that it in some ways there's a current in it that inspires people to do better and to change whatever's not working you know i mean i'm telling you the truth this is a weird experience but on monday night i went to resdora the italian restaurant in the Flatiron district with an old college roommate of mine his birthday and um guy came out of the kitchen this guy works in the kitchen i don't know if he was a cook if he was a dishwasher i don't know what he, he came out with the book he said will you sign this book for me it means so much to me i'm not making that up no it completely floored me yeah it, i mean i got choked up like that someone in the kitchen felt a connection to this and felt meaning because of it so um you know i didn't expect that i didn't know really <laughs> I didn't know what the hell it was yeah. frankly when I turned it into my editor I was like this is very personal it hops all over the world it, there's parts that are just the meditations on cooking and meditations on Mexico and meditations on creativity if it doesn't work I'll get back to the drawing board and he came back to me he's like no 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 this this really works we love it we're we're backing it and everything um but uh Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. babbling. No, no, <laughs> it was, it, it does work. And I have to, I have to mention though, there's a part where you're talking about your, and I, I think you said it's his, his real name, Grant Gold is his yeah. real name, who didn't, who you were trying to find someone to dine with you yeah. at Noma. And as a solo diner, I, often I'm dining, you know, going by myself, but this yeah. was, you didn't want to have this experience by yourself. Or, or you would have been okay with it, but you had a reservation for two, and this, this. I mean, he adds a lot of character to the, the experience. Yeah. What happened is that that you know, as often occurs with Rene Redzepi, it's almost like a test. He throws almost like these little challenges to people. I was talking recently with Malcolm Livingston, who was the pastry chef at Noma for a while and is a brilliant guy, and he said the same thing happens with him. That Rene will just say, Nadine and I have rented a house in Merida in Mexico and you have to come and he'll say no I'm with my daughter Mika's on the road because she's a dancer I, I no, you have to come you don't understand and so he the first time I ate, I ate at Noma this kind of email blurped up on my email when I was at the New York Times said you have a reservation at Noma and I actually texted Renee Redzepi I said I don't I think you've made a mistake I wasn't uh I wasn't asking for a table at Noma you know Maybe there's some sort of email glitch here. And he's like, no, you uh, take it or leave it, essentially. Yeah. Like, you know, if you, right, you right, want to do this. Right. And, it, and as I remember it, it was like a few days away, maybe four days away, maybe 10 days away. But I didn't have a lot of time to decide. I impulsively went on kayak or something and bought a cheap ticket right. to, to Denmark. But then I asked everyone I knew. I mean, college friends, friends who had money. So that wasn't an obstacle. An old college professor people in my family of course and and, and, and people you know it's funny because everyone I really learned something about people everyone says oh man if you get a table at Noma I will move mountains I'll do anything you need to eat there I want this experience but when push comes to shove actually a lot of people don't make that leap even when they can I mean I didn't necessarily have the financial freedom to do this but um so I ended up finding a guy from the office who was interested in food, and I really didn't know him or know much about what he did. So that's that was my dining companion, yeah. who's a very talented guy, actually, and and um, has been very gracious about the book and everything, because it's obviously a sort of an extended comic scene about um, you know something we've all done at one point or another, which is overslept. Right. <laughs> no, it just yeah. reminded me I had. I had this spontaneous moment a couple of years ago where I, I got a reservation at the French Laundry. Oh, cool. And it was for two people, and it was three weeks away. Yeah. And I started the reaching out to people I knew, even in San Francisco, who wanted to go with me. And long story short, I made changed the reservation to one, 
and I went myself. Yeah. And I wrote about it on Fathom about how oh, I cool. flew across the country to die by myself at the yeah. French Laundry. So it turned into this whole thing. But um, yeah, I think the last minute sort of trying to get someone to join you overseas at a fancy restaurant, even though people say, yeah, they wish they could. Not everyone's going to be able I, to do the it. The last time I went to Noma, which was about a month ago, I asked a bunch of people. Yeah. And a very, very well-known food figure, whom I won't say name, said, well, I wish I had the kind of life where I could just hop on a plane and go to dinner in Scandinavia. And I'm thinking, um, somehow I've done this numerous times yeah. and I don't have the money. Or, you know, like, I'm uh, so um, in that case, I ended up going with Adam Platt from New York Magazine, which was fun although he's a professional crank yeah. in a way but he he's a delightful dining companion and this guy rich roll who has a podcast by the way which is another you great name awesome on that oh thanks rich roll turns out to be this just amazing gent and he he is a vegan so he um um an eminent vegan as adam platt brilliantly put it and uh this was the plant kingdom menu at noma so it's a vegetarian menu basically anyway but um he asked renee if he could deliver a vegan version actually renee and his team loved the challenge so they just kind of remove some insects and remove butter and stuff i'm sure he loved the challenge that's what yeah that's what exactly that's, that's what, what the book's that's about what it's about he, he was exactly. like no we're thrilled this is i want yeah. to test the team this way right. this is great because it was actually the very first meal of the plant kingdom menu we were the very first people in for the friends and family test yeah. so rich roll was essentially getting you know the first delivery of it in a vegan manifestation so yeah well um your book is amazing it's inspiring i now i i've been to noma once i can't want to go back when i want to hang go? out with renee i went to the mad conference last year oh yeah so it was the it was the vegetable yeah the, the menu. plant kingdom yeah. yeah and it was a beautiful beautiful space beautiful experience cool so your book people can get it where amazon Oh golly! Yeah, sure. Anywhere if that's your local bookstore. You know, but I, I, I will admit to loving the local indie bookstores. So if you got one nearby, drop in there, I, ask about it. And one last plug on this book because oh, I, because I love it so much. It's changed my life. <laughs> I think no matter where you are in life, personally, professionally, no matter what your appetite for um, food literature is, I think that it this the power of this book has the chance to inspire anybody who dares to pick it up. And I think the journey that Jeff takes you on in this book with all of the amazing characters that are weaving in and out of the story, I think that the power of this book can seriously um, transform people and, and essentially give you the courage to risk being your true self. Wow. Thank you, Sean. I'm actually, yes. I'm humbled by that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, we are running a little behind, but I'm going to quickly do my solo <laughs> dining experience because what's, what's one of my shows without one? And it's a good one. I think you both will appreciate it. It's at Red Hook Tavern. Mm. Here's the rundown. The location, 328 Van Brunt Street, Red Hook, Brooklyn, New York City. The concept, classic American Tavern fair where friends can share a bottle of wine, a few laughs, and great meal. The chef and owner, Billy Durney of Hometown Barbecue. So why did I go? Well, it was one of the most anticipated openings, and I'm a fan of Billy and Hometown. So my experience. Uh, I was in Brooklyn last week for a meeting. I wasn't that far away from Red Hook, so I ventured over there. I decided to go early. I figured that was my best bet at getting a seat. And it worked. I sat at the bar. Um, it got busier as as the, my meal progressed. And uh, I really wanted the whole menu, but I had known what I came for. And uh, the staff was really warm, welcoming, and it was nice to see Billy there too. So what did I get? I went with that dry-aged Red Hook Tavern burger. It came with some very thick French fries and a large pickle. My take? As expected, it's a winner say it's a winner it's a, a really solid burger and i ate half i took the rest to go um really really good highly recommend it the ambiance so it's a beautiful intimate bar and restaurant it has yet an old school tavern feel 
It's a restored space, 40-seat space that has a lot of history. Before Billy took it over, it was a neighborhood liquor store for 85 years, and he's kept the original signed and restored the inside, including the exposed brick, and kept a lot of the reclaimed dark wood. Perfect for, I'd say, solo diners at the bar and great night out with friends. Interesting tidbit, my guest today, Sean Feeney, as well as Missy Robbins, are investors in this place, from what I've read. And personal fun fact, being on the waterfront down in Brooklyn to get back to Manhattan, I took the ferry back, which I have to say, summertime ferry transportation is my favorite way to get around, and um, it was a beautiful night. The cost was $22. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. I really want to try those head-on prawns and the wedge salad and the whole menu. So that was the problem being solo. I could only get a burger. Uh, website, redhooktavern.com. So there you go. Congratulations. I didn't know you were going to give that plug. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. And hey, I'm man, solo these are my surprise. So I'm oh. like the surprise restaurant, I'll, like, I'll make your next solo diner. <laughs> I'll make your next reservation. I know a guy. Cool. Yeah. It yeah. was fantastic. Great. So It's a special little place. Okay. We're almost done. We're going to do the final question. And actually, I could maybe get two questions if you're both up for it. My next guest is Jasmine Moy. She is a hospitality lawyer, and I'm excited to have her on the show. I've known her for a while, represents a lot of chefs and restaurants. So, Sean and possibly Jeff, what would you like to ask Jasmine? I think um, having a council that is specific to the hospitality industry is extremely important for any restaurant owner, operator, employee. Um, I would ask over the past two years, what has been the biggest change in her role for restaurants? I will ask. I would ask from the vantage point of, uh, theoretically, I am a young chef. I'm just starting out. What are my blind spots? What am I missing? What are questions I am not asking because I'm not even aware that those questions exist? That would be hugely helpful to a lot of young chefs I see coming up who sometimes are, you know, getting elbowed out by the owners or there's, there's, there are crises that, that arise because they weren't anticipating them. So I think that would be hugely helpful. Fabulous. You guys want to come back next week and just do the show with me? You're more than welcome. I think Jeff's, <laughs> Jeff's got to travel the world. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And also, I, we didn't note, and we should, that Missy on, was Esquire's best on Best New Restaurant list, and also Missy was Chef of the Year. Yeah, Missy Robbins was our was Chef an, of the Year. another connection year. that That's you right. guys have. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't really talked to Sean before that. I think we connected. You were, you were at Lilia very early on yes. with your um, n- not yet bride. Yeah, that's right. Um, but then... When you came to Missy for dinner, um, your bride was a, a little late, so I didn't want you to be alone. So I sat down and talked to you for about 15 minutes. And then at the end of the meal, I asked you to come to the pasta room. And I knew your um, favorite Springsteen song, and I put it on in the pasta room. <laughs> wow. That yeah. shows. This is all happening that shows. behind the scenes. And Jeff Gordon started that you know really loudly. I, I will any cool. spring scene that goes on. I will just the screen door slams. Yeah, Mary's dressed. Way, it was does this bus stop at eighty seconds? I I will know. I mean, it, my my wife is getting really weary of it now. Okay. In the beginning, it was charming. <laughs> you guys are both fabulous. I wish we could go on, but we're we got to go. So thank you both for coming out here and joining me, and and congratulations on on all of your success, Sean Feeney with Lily and Missy, and I can't wait to see whatever is next. And Jeff, same with you. Whatever you're going to be writing in your book and everything happening. No more writing. I'm done. No No more writing? You want to open a restaurant? (laughs) Congrats to you again, Sherry. Five years. 223 episodes. It's a great show. It's pretty amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So um, 
Check out our archives at heritageradionetwork.org if you miss anything, and follow us on social media. I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. And Sean Lilia is at LiliaNewYork.com and MissyNewYork.com, and what we got, Esquire.com, Hungry.com, lots of .coms. Just find us. Yeah. <laughs> The Gordonaire on Instagram. And Instagram, you're the Gordonaire. And Instagram, Sean, you're Sean B. Feeney? That's right. Okay, yep. great. Thanks to my engineer, Amanda. Thanks again to Sean and Jeff. And uh, thank you all for listening. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.